The following program is proudly supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. Being a HSC student can be stressful. It can be extremely humbling and time-consuming. It takes a lot of self-discipline, energy, patience and persistence. Particularly in such a time where many people advance in their taste, physiology and maturity, it can all seem like too much to bear. The crushing weight of expectations can be paralyzing. Stop for one second. Breathe. Realize that this is just the start of your journey. Pace yourself and know this. The milestones that matter are in the lessons that decorate the mind and not the certificates that decorate the walls. The experience has much more to give you than any mark. The journey is often more fruitful than the destination. So join us as we trek together on a journey beyond the ATAR. To some, dedicating an episode of an HSC-centric series to emphasize the importance of not studying sometimes seems confusing. What do you mean downtime? In my final year? Why tell me to slow down when the end is in sight? Some students and parents alike may question the word of someone who prescribes setting time for hobbies, self-care and revitalization in the two years known for intensive study, focus and heavy workloads. In fact, the importance of study and focus at this time is exactly the reason for such a prescription. During your hardest obstacles, it is imperative that you are aware of your capabilities as well as your limitations in facing these new challenges and maintain habits that keep you centered and make you feel empowered. Moodiness and irritability, indecisiveness and brain fog, muscle tension and headaches. Any of this sound familiar? If you are experiencing some or all of these symptoms during HSC, it could be as a result of stress. When our body is overstressed, it usually will not function optimally. And so, to overwhelm yourself with the very thing at which you are trying to succeed is counterproductive. Excessive irritability impedes us from exercising patience during difficult moments and may cause us to make rash decisions regarding our health, relationships and study habits. Brain fog can increase our irritability and it can nullify all the revision and focus that we have been exerting into a subject and make us feel incompetent. Stress, as a whole, can have serious consequences, far more than getting a slightly lower than expected grade. Monitoring our well-being during high stress periods should be at the top of the priority list. The monitoring is accompanied by necessary adjustments, identifying when it is healthy to step back for a moment and spend time with your family and other healthy unwinding activities. HSC should be approached with moderation in all areas within your control. But don't just take my word for it. Let us hear from an organisation 
that specialises in the well-being of youth, including those coping with HSC stress. Today we're joined by Jackie. Jackie, how are you? Well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you for asking. And um, would you like to introduce yourself and maybe speak a little bit about your organisation? Yeah, so my role is as the Director of Service at Reach Out Australia. Reach Out is an online youth mental health service and we provide support to young people, uh, parents and carers and schools around supporting uh, mental health and wellbeing. Interesting. So you deal with youth primarily. So tell me, do you often encounter a lot of distressed HSC students? Yeah, so we know that this time of year is a really stressful time for students in year 12 um, with the final exams coming up. And what we've seen this year is 35,000 young people accessing Reach Out for support on study stress. So we know that it's a focus for young people, but that they're also looking for ways to, to manage that stress and to to be proactive. Interesting. So do you find that with these HSC students that you're seeing that there's an extremely dangerous level of stress amongst them to the point where it's maybe debilitating? Look, I think it's a really good question and what we know is that it's quite um, individual. So we've done some research this year and we found that 88% of young people have reported a level of stress um, around their, their final exams. And, you know, when we think about stress, there is that healthy stress where we need a level of stress to be motivated and to be productive. But when it tips over into unproductive stress, we know that it can impact our ability to sort of study and, and function really well. So I think it's about kind of acknowledging where you're at and how much the stress is impacting you, taking proactive steps to manage the stress and getting extra support if you feel like it, it is um, impacting you negatively. You did use the term healthy stress, which might be a bit of a surprise to some students. Some people might not be familiar with the fact that there is a healthy level of stress. So can you tell us what does healthy stress look like and when does it lean more into a dangerous level of stress? Yes, yeah, um, really good point because we don't often talk about healthy stress. But, you know, if you think about when you're performing really well, it's often that you are focused on a goal, you've, you've been working towards these final exams and you're really motivated um, to do well. And so that can drive you to, to study and to think of this as an important piece. And, that, and that's important for us to yeah, focus and achieve. But if you start to find it affecting other areas of your life, so you're not able to sleep as well or it's really affecting your mood or you're feeling really down, they're signs that the stress might be impacting you negatively and that's when we'd suggest that talking to um, a parent, a carer um, or a teacher about how it's impacting you. We surveyed students across the country and um, to understand the impact that study stress was having on their mental health and well-being. And what we found that really jumped out to us is that 50% of young people reported that it was having an impact on their sleep. That could be things like staying up late to study, could be difficulty waking up in the morning, or for some young people, even sleeping more. And so we're really wanting to spread the message that to set yourself up for success in exams, it's important to have a good night's sleep and there are some steps you can take to help that. Would you like to tell us a little bit about those steps? Because I find that with a lot of students, their routine kind of gets thrown off. So maybe 
establishing a set routine might be a tip. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And routine can reduce kind of the load and the number of things we're thinking about because we kind of just kick into gear, if you like. So one thing in terms of a routine could be um, setting your alarm for the same time every morning. So going to bed and waking up at the same time um, can be part of a healthy sleep routine. It can also be having time to wind down between when you finish studying to when you go to bed, sort of having some um, time in between those two things so you can kind of let your brain wind down. And then this last one, I know it's really hard because it's tempting to just um, scroll on your phone and we all do it, but we know that that sort of blue light from the phone can impact your sleep patterns. And so if you can have some screen-free time before bed, that can be really helpful as well. You did mention winding down before sleep. And uh, I think one of those things is staying away from your phone for as long as you can before going to bed. And what other things can someone do to wind down before going to sleep? Yeah, so the other day I was talking to a year 12 student who said to have a a warm glass of milk with some honey. And I feel like we, we sort of hear about that and probably think about it when we're, you know, younger children, but it can still be quite a kind of calming and soothing thing. Um, It could be, you know, for some people, it's like reading uh, an actual book, so not on a screen, that can be helpful. It could be going for like a walk around the block each day and and kind of having some time out in nature that helps us um, unwind. We also hear a lot about playing with pets, that that can be a really great way to unwind. All of this kind of comes with trial and error. A person would need to see what works for them. Uh, I did hear actually specifically one adult, not even, you know, a HSC student, but an adult uses reading as a means to wind down because they find that whenever they pick up a book, they just kind of doze off. So that's a really good tip. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's not disparaging reading. It's really, that's how they wind down. It's amazing. It's a really good tip. Yeah, absolutely. That that happens for me too, I think sometimes. It's just a way of your brain shifting gear, I think. Yeah. And uh, so Tell me, how would someone who maybe doesn't have experience with building a sort of routine for themselves, how would they start off? What would they start out with? Because there are all these options out there for them to try. So what would you advise? Yes. Yeah, I think um, it could seem daunting or intimidating to build this healthy routine. And I think if you just start really small and start with something that seems easy to you and kind of build up that muscle. So If, for example, you know, reading at bed, that feels too much of a a stretch for you, it's not something that you're kind of interested in, you know, is that idea of setting your alarm for the same time each day, is that something that you could try and, and see, you know, for a couple of weeks if that works for you? Could you go for a walk or even meet a friend for a walk um, and just get outside and get kind of that movement happening? So something that seems small and easy for you, but give it a try for a little while before you decide it's not working, I think. Absolutely. And I like that you mentioned that these sort of tips for your routine can involve other people like your friends. And um, I find that's especially helpful for HSC students who have a cohort to lean back on and uh, people that understand exactly what they're going through. So what can you tell me about the culture of a cohort or a friend group or the other support systems that a person would have, like their family, and their influences on a HSC student's stress levels? 
Yeah, it's a, a great question. I think um, we have heard in the past young people sort of comparing themselves to others um, and that can be kind of challenging or thinking about, you know, am I studying as much as anyone else? So I think a couple of things, I think know what works for you, know that we're all different and sort of stay true to that. But that connection is really powerful during this time and being able to feel like you're not alone when you're going through this and that you can draw on supports and that you can sort of say, look, I'm finding this a bit tough and ask for help is really powerful. I think you can think that the only thing to do is focus 100% on study and you can think that that's really what you need to do, but actually taking a more balanced approach and keeping connected, um, even if it's for, you know, like a a half an hour walk or picking a ball around um, can be really helpful in maintaining your motivation and your overall well-being during exams. Excellent. So what about the negative side? Because a lot of people may not have such great support systems. So what would you advise to those people who are in that position, who don't have the strongest support systems in terms of coping with HSC stress, and uh, to those of them who invite that stress to HSC students? So if you are finding that you're experiencing it as really stressful and it's starting to impact other areas of your life, definitely encourage you to seek support. That could be starting off with having a conversation with a parent or a carer. If that's not possible for you, you know, there can be great supports at schools through things like a school counsellor or a a trusted teacher. Um, And You can also, of course, chat to a GP and so they can provide advice. Also a great place to start to learn more about this stress and how you could manage it. Now, I want to talk about something specific that I know a lot of students suffer with, which is cramming. So a lot of students, they grow accustomed to cramming and that's absorbing a lot of information in a short amount of time. And sometimes it works and it only just works. Um, And sometimes it goes really, really wrong for someone to cram last minute. In both cases, it takes a huge toll on a person's mental well-being. So can you talk about some of the consequences of cramming and how someone can work around that habit of cramming to be productive in a healthy way? Yeah, so I think uh, I can really understand the strong temptation to to cram before exams and feel like the best thing you can do is use all of the time available to study. But what it can actually do is if you don't, you know, if you stay up late to do that and you don't get a good night's sleep, it can actually impact your ability to perform in the exam and to recall that information. And I've heard stories about people kind of doing that and not being well rested and then sort of actually kind of blanking on what they were meant to be um, sharing in the exam. So I think setting up a healthy study routine. So That includes taking regular breaks from study. Your brain can only actually concentrate for a set period of time. There's a technique you can look up and we cover and reach out called the Pomodoro method. And so that's a a kind of a practical thing that you can um, have a look into, which is about taking regular study breaks. And then I think it's those other things that we've we've talked about. So... um, It's staying connected to family and friends, getting some regular exercise, eating well, and kind of realizing that this is about, you know, if you look after your whole self, you'll be able to perform better in the exams and kind of shifting our belief that cramming is effective. All right. Thank you so much. And just as a final note, um, would you like to share any advice 
uh, to the upcoming HSC cohorts? Just like to wish the uh, upcoming students going into year 12 exams all the best. Reach Out will be there with you, um, you know, cheering you on from the sidelines. All right. Thank you so much for the helpful advice, Jackie. Thank you. Thanks for your time. It's all well and good to say that we should segment our limited time to give room for studies and for well-being. But how practical is this advice really? Because again, one does not slow down in the home stretch. Well, it is important to note that all of this is not to say that you should not be advancing at this time. However, gradual growth is typically the most enduring, meaning that if you start a good habit on a small scale and insist on this habit, until it is rigid, then expect that success will become much easier to attain. Do not make ATAR the reason for you to grow. Rather, let the entire HSC experience be a means for you to grow beyond your ATAR. And with that, let us hear about the approach of an HSC graduate and seek some advice on building a balanced routine in high-stakes times. Today I'm joined by Baha. Baha, how are you? Alhamdulillah, yourself? Alhamdulillah, thank you for asking. Now, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your studies, your career. Yeah, I graduated in 2019 uh, and I pursued a career in business and law, uh, Bachelor of Business and Law at UTS. That's what I'm currently doing at the moment. MashaAllah. So the HSC, Mm. 2019, you said. Does it feel like it was that long ago? It does. It does. So do you feel like when you think about the memories of your HSC, does Mm. it feel like it feels way longer than it actually is? Does it feel way shorter? Does it feel just about right? No, it does. It does feel like quite a while ago, especially since, you know, there's there's been a couple of years I have graduated as well. Mm. And, you know, being with them, I've been to their camps as well been to their graduation so it makes me feel a little bit <laughs> a little bit older it makes me think like wow it has been about four years that I have graduated yeah do you feel like when you look at them you see a lot of the things that were in you at that age and that you've grown out of definitely definitely a hundred percent one hundred percent it makes me it, it makes me relive that whole experience all over again when I see them going through what they're going through <laughs> yeah I mean, I think with all the HSC students, because I have had some HSC yeah. students throughout the series as well, yeah. and whenever I see them, there's always this painful anxiety, yes, like a cloud of anxiety that follows them. They can't shake it. Mm. It's, it's really like, subhanAllah, it, during this time, there's very little that you can think about that's not the HSC. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to dedicate an episode to self-care, just taking care of yourself during mm-hmm. the HSC and I want to ask about your methods personally yep. during the HSC and things that you carried on with you even after. Mm. Because uh, let's face it, finishing the HSC doesn't mean you've finished with stress. 100%. Hello. Before starting off on that, I'd like to point out that the way of thinking during HSC is something and the way of thinking after you leave and you become a uni student is something else. True. Completely you know, a different personality, as you could say. Yeah. During the HSC, you know, you're under that stress, under that anxiety. You don't know what to expect for the HSC. You know what I mean? So I'm speaking for myself personally. It was a, a very stressful experience. And I'm sure most or all my peers that were with me in that year as well can agree 
it was very stressful. You, you didn't know what to expect. No matter how many years come up to you and tell you, you know, it's okay, it's just like any other exam, you, you won't actually know what they're talking about until you walk into that HSC exam and you sit it. Yeah. But one thing that I can say is it really is just like any other exam that you do at school, like the end of year exams or your mid-semester exams. They're, they're not called mid-semester anymore. They're called... Uh, mid- half yearlies. Half yearlies. Half yearlies exams. <laughs> Reflect yeah. how long ago yeah, it's yeah, been it does, since we've been does, in school. It does. Yeah. So yeah. they're just like that. But yeah, Annie, as I said, it, it, a person does go through a lot of stress, a lot of overthinking as well. And because of that, you tend to want to run away from those thoughts, from that stress, and that sometimes leads to procrastination as well. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, you'd want to sit down and study, but because of that stress, you know, sometimes that would drive people to actually sit down and work through it because they want to get over that. Mm. Uh, For a lot of other people, including myself back when I was doing my HSC, it was something that because of that stress, I wanted to avoid it. Mm. You know what I mean? I couldn't actually face that stress. And I didn't want to tell myself that I can't face that stress. So that would lead to procrastinating. You know what I mean? Sitting on your phone, um, wasting your time. You know what I mean? Trying to get away from work as much as you can. Yeah. But you realize later on, especially towards the end of your journey, yeah, um, you realize later on that there's so many things that you could have done different. There's so many ways that you could have tackled it mm. that would have helped you during your career. And you right now, I'm looking at the current HSC students and the past couple of years that have graduated as well. The schools that we graduated from have taken initiative to help the HSC students a lot more than it was before, even though we got so much help from our teachers, so yeah. much help from the school. But now they're getting um, past HSC students to come in as well, yeah. speak to them, tell them about their own experience, yeah. to let the HSC students feel that we know what you're going through, we were there in your position, this is what to expect. It is, it's so much more helpful than a teacher who has been so accustomed to just being a teacher. Yes. They don't know the feeling of being a HSC yes. student. Because as you said, it's something completely different. And you Times won't know changed. it. Times have changed. Yeah. Times have changed. And especially with all the stresses that have been coming out recently yeah. with um, COVID and all of the lockdowns and studying remotely, yeah. all of these add a new level of stress. Mm. So uh, we empathize with a lot of the students that yeah. had to go through that. Yeah. So you mentioned a lot about uh, having an avoidant way of approaching HSC, where when you get overwhelmed by something, instead of working through it like some people would, uh, you avoid it. Mm. Now, we should also mention that those are two ends of a very bad spectrum. Yes. Because if you are only working on something just to get rid of it and you're not finding pleasure in doing so, Mm. you're going to exhaust yourself. Like That's one thing. And the other end of just overwhelming yourself to paralysis Mm. is a whole different unhealthy mindset. Yes, of course. I mean, I I guess you can say that a way to approach that, a lot of people end up in that position because they haven't really set what they want to do after HSC. So Mm. they don't exactly have a specific goal in mind. Mm. You know what I mean? Their next goal, the next thing is just to finish the HSC and they're just thinking about the three months break that comes after that, which is, by the way, it's an amazing break. It's much needed. After all those years of school, a three-month break, uh, it feels amazing. So... A lot of people are in that position. They don't know what they want to do. They don't have a passion for something specific. I feel like after graduating, I realized this, that if you 
have an idea of what you want to do and you become passionate about it. And it's not just, oh, I'm searching up this thing on the UAC book or I, I look on YouTube a day in the life of a whatever. You actually go out and you ask people. You ask people in that in that job. You ask people who decided to pursue that career and then left it, why they left it. You have to ask multiple people, not just one or two that you know. So you get a better understanding of what this career is. How does this bachelor look like? How is studying at uni like for this specific degree? So that way you form a passion. You know what exactly I want. So that way you are able to work harder while you're doing your HSC to get to that goal. Mm. Me, for example, I didn't know what I wanted to do until I finished my HSC. It was to that point that I just wanted to finish my HSC. I had no definite goal, no no specific career that I wanted to get into until I finished my HSC. Unfortunately, most people are in that position. Most people are in that position. That's why I encourage students who are studying the HSC now to go out there, even from year 11 as well, mm. to go out there and start searching, start looking for different careers and jobs. Yeah. And schools do offer, you know, uh, excursions to career expos. Those kinds of things help if you take them seriously. Yes, 100%. And you don't just take them as an outing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A lot of people, yeah, and including myself, uh, you know, it, it was more of a, like an excursion, you know. It, Pretty much. I, I did. I did take it into consideration where I would go. This is where I started having an idea of what I wanted to do, mm. but I wasn't sure. So while I did get many free gifts from different stores <laughs> and whatnot, which I'm sure many students like, uh, I did go out there and I spoke to different universities. This is where I started. I put my foot in the door, as they say, to get a better understanding from the different universities. What are the requirements? What are the ETA requirements? How is studying for that specific degree at this specific university? Mm. And I started to get information from this uni and that uni and it formed my perspective on how uni is going to be for this specific degree that I wanted to get into. Yeah. But I still wasn't 100% sure yet. You know, uh, having friends with me that, you know, each one wants to do something different. You, you might say, okay, my friend uh, wants to be a doctor. You know what? Let me be a doctor like him. My friend wants to do this. Let me do this like like him. You know what mm. I mean? But you have to go out there and find that for yourself. Yeah. That's very important. You have to go out there and, and, and search for yourself. Yeah, and that should take priority. And a lot of a lot of students overlook it as something mm. that they'll have to worry about later. Yes. And their priority, unfortunately, is just getting into uni, getting a foot in the door in the mm. first place. That That's working backwards. First things first, you should, as you said, establish what it is exactly that you want to pursue because that makes every achievement up to that point all the more satisfying. Yes. See, to add to that, uh, going off what you're saying right now, because that's, that's a quite important point, a lot of people, they stress about that, I'm going to do my HSC, um, but they're scared about the ATA. They're scared about not getting the ATA that they want. I want to make it clear that the ATA is not everything. The ATA does not define your intelligence. The ATA is there to help you because I don't want students to get this wrong and, and misquote me for this. Mm. What the ATA does, say you're on an island, right? And you want to get to another island. The ATA is the bridge, mm. right? It's not the destination. It's not the destination. The ATA is the bridge. Under this bridge, there's muddy water, right? Here in Australia, we are thankful that we live in a system where if you don't get the ATA that you want, you can still get to the island 
but you might just have to walk through the muddy water. Yeah. Depends on how bad you want to get to that destination, mm. right? If you really want to push through. A lot of students nowadays, um, they don't get the ETA that they want and they're not passionate enough to want to get to the other island. Mm. They're not passionate enough about that career. So they start walking through the muddy water and then they stop and they say, you know what, I'm just going to stick to whatever I've chosen already. So a lot of people that I know, for example, have said that I want to get into uh, a career of business and law at university, for example. Mm. Um, they've started, they didn't get the ATA to get into the law degree, but they did get an ATA to get into the business degree, for example. So they start pursuing that Bachelor of Business and say to themselves, oh, yeah, after a year, I'm going to transfer to to my law, my law degree. Mm. Um, but then they're just not passionate enough, so they just stop and continue at doing a business degree. You know what I mean? That's why it's important to form that passion before that. Very true. Now, I want to take you back to the HSC. Yes. When it comes to your personal experience mm. with the HSC, did you find that you were in routine up until the HSC and then the HSC is through you off routine or did you never establish a routine or did you establish a routine during HSC? Yeah. Uh, leading up to the HSC, I was trying to find a routine that suits me. Mm. So sometimes I would make myself a timetable, for example, but I, I realized that I never actually stuck to that timetable. Um, and that's something that I struggled with. Towards the end of my HSC journey, maybe towards ha half of year 12 and towards the HSC, I started to find better ways of studying. And that became my routine. But when things became really effective is when I graduated and I got into uni and then I found ways to make a timetable that I actually stuck to. And that was the first time that I actually stuck to a timetable that I've made. Oh, wow. Yeah. And sure. so that's what I think to myself. I'm sure a lot of people agree uh, with this as well, is that after you graduate, or oh, those who have graduated and are in the university at the moment, if they were to go back to the HSC and do it all over again, they would do much, much, much better. But that's a conversation for another time, inshallah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Now, you said that the first time that you were able to stick to a specific routine was after. Mm. Now, why did you work so hard to get into a routine that you could stick to? Why is it so important for you to be in routine? Because after I started that degree that I was in, I was passionate about it. It was something that I wanted to pursue and I wanted to do well in it, right? And I knew exactly what I wanted to achieve. Mm. And that's when I set my timetable and it actually worked. I realized that back in year 12, back during my HSC, I was setting myself a timetable that was so specific, like to the minute, for example, I would say between this hour and this hour, this minute and this minute, I want to do this and that. And I realized that if this didn't happen or I missed this certain step and, then, you know, you just give up on the rest because they just clash with each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that didn't work. Mm. Um, and as well, to add to that, like I said, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do until towards the end of my HSC. Mm. So there wasn't that passion for something. And I found that passion after I graduated and started my uh, my degree. When it came to your HSC, yep. all of these things, these methods that you tried to establish in your routine, you know, setting yourself uh, to the minute timetables mm. and all mm. of these sorts of things, they didn't really work for you. Yeah. 
what are some things that you discourage other people who are trying to establish a routine from doing? Hmm. Believing that if, if the timetable says that you're going to get a certain thing done, that if you don't get it done, that means you, know, you failed at doing this certain thing. The way that I encourage HSC students at the moment to do their timetable is to set out from Monday to Sunday and to put the most important points that they want to get done during that day. And if those things are not finished on that day, to pass it on to the next day. It's completely fine. There needs to be that balance as well because, one, you have to be realistic with how you set your timetable. That's another thing that a lot of students uh, struggle with. There's a lot to get done and they're stressed about getting these things done. So they bunch them up in one day. You've got to learn to spread that out. Mm. And you spread that out based on what you prioritize. And you've got to remember that you can't do 10 different things that are supposed to be done. Each one takes an hour. You can't do them all in one day. Mm. Put no more than three, three or four things that need to get done during that day. And make sure that you reward yourself as well. Like what? So, for example, after you work for an hour or so, obviously not to take a two-hour break, but you take a 15-minute break, a 30-minute break. And that 15, 30-minute break, not to take it using your phone because mm. that cuts that chain of thinking that you have. One thing that I found to work is that during that break period that I would have, I would go outside, take a little walk around the house, maybe around the block, take a little walk. Uh, I would eat something. You know, I might get a bit of hungry, eat, eat a snack, a bit of chocolate, you know, to get that sugar up as well. Do, doing something uh, physically, right? Not, not sticking on your phone and looking at a screen all the time. You move from one screen to another screen, that doesn't help. Mm. And especially because if you're on the phone, on, on social media and whatnot, you, you tend to uh, get sucked into it and you lose track of the time. Mm. And instead of spending a 15-minute break, you, you spend a 45-minute break. And you don't find that these breaks break your momentum? Uh, it depends. If they are long breaks, yes. That's why don't spend more than 15 minutes taking your break. Mm. You know, If you feel like you're working and you don't need a break at that moment, you've passed the one hour mark and you feel like you know, you're in that momentum, you're getting work done, continue until you get to the point where like, okay, I genuinely need a break. Now I need to get my eyes off the screen. I need to do something else. Then yeah, take a break. Mm. But don't... You know, overwork yourself. That's another thing as well. And when you start uh, year 12 specifically as well, a lot of people, they, they try hard at the start. You know, they're trying to set the bar. But when it gets closer to the HSC, they burn out. They just can't wait to get done. Yeah, and so, that's our whole topic in this series as well. Is it? Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It impacts everything. Mm. It impacts burnout. Mm. If you let yourself be consumed by burnout, it impacts your productivity. Yep. It impacts your passions, the things that you thought you were passionate about that you wanted to pursue mm. after school. Yep. Um, and it impacts your relationships with people 100%. because you lash out sometimes. You're very irritable. Um, just in general, it really it impacts every area of your life. I guess to help yourself um, when it comes to self-care is to split your time you know, you have your studying time, but you also need to have your time for taking a break. Mm. Go out, for example, on a Saturday. Go out with the family. You need a break. It's You can't spend all of it in working. A lot of people choose not to go out, not to take a break. Then they say that I have work that I need to do, but they don't end up getting that work yeah. done. 
You know what I mean? They don't, they don't actually end up getting that work done. So no, set yourself a time for working and take a break as well. Mm. Another thing that I noticed uh, helps a lot as well is attending religious lessons. Mm. It is very, very, very important to attend religious lessons during your HSC studying period because it really does help calm you down. It, it makes you think about the goals that you want to achieve, how you are going to help the wider Australian Muslim community, the society as well. And it makes you work even harder for that. That's something that consistently comes up mm. every time I ask someone of the things that they should maintain during the HSC. Yeah. The two things are spending time with your family and attending religious lessons. Yes. And absolutely, I can attest to that. That is absolutely true. 100%. These are matters of self-care. Did you find that there were specific things that you used to do as uh, practices of self-care that in your HSC were hard to keep up with? I mean, I did, I did spend time with my family. I was spending time with my family, but not comfortably in the sense that I was always thinking about the stress of work. Mm. I couldn't spend that time not thinking about work wherever I went, whether it was my friends, my family, going out, it wasn't as enjoyable because of that stress of work. It eats away at you. It does. It really does. But like I said, if those things that I am implementing now at university, if I had those and I saw the way of thinking as I am now back in HSC, it would have been very different. Thinking towards you know, attending the religious lessons, as I mentioned, thinking that this is not the end of the world. You know what I mean? It's just a stepping stone mm. to help you Help others. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So you keep saying that if I were to have done this again, knowing what I know now, yes. I would have been able to excel. Yeah. So when it comes to that aspect of spending time with your family without mm. the idea of HSC eating away at you and interrupting your thought and not allowing you to enjoy that time, or just in general, having some downtime, having some time away from your work and studies, how would you advise someone who struggles with that thought that bothers them while they're trying to do these things? When you are in the moment of not studying, for example, you're out with the family, forget about work. Put your HSC aside, put your work aside, because that is the time that you're trying to dedicate for self-care. Mm -hmm. When you are doing your self-care routines, you're going out with the family, you're taking a break, you should, put, or even going to the gym, going to the gym and physical activity is so important. It really does take your mind off the stresses of work. So while you are doing that, get your mind off work completely. Forget that you are doing the HSC, forget about work, forget about studies. You are right now, this is your time. This is me time right now. Mm. You only think about work when you are doing the work. If you really feel stressed that, okay, I'm not getting the work done, stop thinking about it. Then when you get back, use that as a motivation. Motivate yourself and say to yourself, I don't want to have that feeling anymore. I don't want to be stressed when I'm supposed to be having a break. Mm. Use that as a motivation and go hard. Go, go, go study hard. I think it's also important, and uh, this did come up in previous episodes, that an important study tactic is actually having good downtime. Having good time uh, to wind down from your studies and everything that you went through during the day. Yeah. Because every single day of HSC is exhausting. Having that downtime is essential for you to have the energy to come back to studying. So excellent advice. Yes, thank you. Did you have a set nightly routine during HSC or what are the things that you struggled with? Mm, I was more of a morning person during my HSC. I found that mm. I couldn't 
really study as effectively at night. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of other people who were, you know, getting a lot of work done at night, but I just got to the point where even though I would try to, but like after 10pm, my mind would just shut off. I would not, you know, work effectively after that that period of time. And it was just a waste of time for me. You know, when you're reading a sentence and you read over that sentence again and again and again, and just nothing goes into your mind. Uh, I found that waking up in, in the morning before Fajr time, so that was at around four o'clock-ish, that is the time where your mind is fresh. And if you're working at night, to me, Personally, if you're working at night, you've had the whole day. You're thinking about so many things. You get to the end of the night and your mind is just filled with so many things. But if you go to sleep and wake up early, your mind is fresh, especially after you make wudu and you pray. Everyone's asleep. You make yourself a little healthy snack to eat in the morning. Uh, have your cup of coffee, a little lamp next to you. It sets the the vibe. It's mm. a nice vibe to study in at that time. Yeah. So I found myself focusing a lot more during that time. And so I'm assuming because you would wake up so early, your nightly routine was to sleep early as well. Yes. Uh, I would try to. I would try to sleep (laughs) early. But uh, again, thinking about the stresses of work and whatnot and trying to get work done, Mm. I would end up sleeping late a lot of the times. And that's one of the things that if you were able to go back with what you know now. Oh, 100% I would be sleeping early. 100% because... At times like that, I would get no more than six hours of sleep, which to some people is enough. Do you find that you still implement this habit of waking up early to be productive? I try to. I I, I do try to. It it depends on, uh, for example, if it's winter, it's a seasonal thing, you know. (laughs) Uh, During winter, it's cold, you know, you're cosy. Um, So it just, it depends. But I try to implement that throughout my um, studies during university. Yes, I do. Yeah. I'm going I'm to ask you to zoom out a little bit. Yes. And um, think about how the atmosphere of your cohort was in terms of establishing a routine. Were a lot of people in a routine? Did you find that certain people who were more inclined to a setting a specific routine and acting on that routine mm. were at a higher level? Did you find that people that were kind of all over the place were not as high achievers as their counterparts? Yeah. I feel like a lot of us were in the same boat. You know, because of that, we were more understanding of how everyone else is feeling. Mm. So we we're kind of like, you know, empathetic towards each other in, in that sense. But those who were high achievers in the class, you could tell that they did have a set routine. They did have a set routine. They they wouldn't spend as much time going out. Uh, they wouldn't spend as much time on the phone. I don't even think they had um, social media at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of people are very committed to the point where they just shut off social yeah, media. Yeah, 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 yeah. It does help. Big time. It, it really does. It, it's a distraction, you know yeah. what I mean? It is a distraction. And especially, and I don't know if this is still a common theme, but I remember group chats were a big thing yes. during <laughs> yes, during group that chats time. Were a big thing, so, yeah. And on every social media mm-hmm. platform, you would have a group chat with the members in your cohort. Yes. And that was already a huge distraction of just people sending jokes yeah. and and stressing about uh, yeah. an exam the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, look, it, it, it depends because if you're in a group chat like that and people are stressing, they tend to deflect their stress by telling other people how stressed they are and yeah. how they are not studying so that they could get a response from other people telling them that they're not studying as well they so that better. they feel better about yeah. themselves. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the best thing to do in a situation like that is to press mute and, you know, shut the phone off, put it on the side. Um 
especially while you're studying, because yeah. if you have your phone next to you, don't fool yourself and tell yourself that you know you need the phone for studying or for a calculator. You've got a calculator <laughs> that you can use. It doesn't have to be your phone. Yeah. Um, you can use an egg timer if you have yes. the kitchen egg timer. <laughs> the old school. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, while you're studying, if you constantly get messages on your phone, you just have a natural inclination to want to look at your phone. Yeah. As soon as that happens, you get sucked in. You start, you know, on social media, and you know, you waste your time. It's a big distraction. Yeah. I find that sometimes the habits of high achievers might seem unusual to mm. a lot of people in the mm. cohort. A lot of them think, okay, during this time I want to make memories, I want to have fun with my friends, and all of that is true, but it has its time. Yes. It is good to sometimes just ask these people how they establish these, why, what's their mm. motivation. Mm. And I think one important thing that it will always go back to is that these people are so driven towards a specific goal. Yes. They are very specific in their goals. They don't just know that they want to get into university. They know what course they want to get into. They know what career to pursue. All of these things that they're doing now drive them towards a specific mm. goal. I feel like it goes back to each person. It's, an, it's a more of a subjective thing. You know, do you want to make memories and you know, not spend that time during uh, your studying or studying effectively? Do you want to study effectively and study so much to the point where it doesn't really bother you whether you make memories at school or not? It's more of a subjective thing. I feel like if you can find that balance between you know, making memories, going out with your friends, going out with the family and studying effectively as well, because as I said, it's not the end of the world if you don't get the ATAR that you want. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. In a situation like this, your mental health is always first. You know, I've seen a lot of people, they go down a dark road where, you know, they actually get depression. They feel very depressed, very anxious. Uh, you know, they kind of lock themselves in, in, in their room. They don't want to go out. Even if they do go out, you know, you find them, uh, you know, they're not themselves. And if you were just to zoom out and take a look at this whole thing, you realize that it doesn't need all of that. No. You know what I mean? It's there are so many pathways to get to what you want. I know so many people who weren't able, because of their ATA, were not able to get into university, but did diplomas and, and went through TAFE and ended up getting to where they want to. Yeah. Okay, it takes a bit more years, takes a bit more time. But, but you learn so much anyway you during do. that time. It really is an experience. It really is an experience. And you end up getting to where you want. You don't need to stress that much. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes these things, I've heard it time and time again, that it might be the best thing for you to not go immediately into that course. Yes. There's nothing that could have prevented you from not getting into your course if that was what was yes. destined for you. Again, it might be the best thing for you because of all the experience that you gain, all of the connections that you make along the way. All of these things build you towards the career that you claim to be of passionate course. about. Of course. So, all right. So we've spoken a lot reflecting on your experiences. Yeah. You offered a lot of advice. Um, and I do thank you for that. And I thank just you. want one final word. For the coming up uh, HSC cohorts. Mm. A wise person once told me, be thankful that the only thing you are stressing about is your work and your HSC because there are other people out there across the globe that are wishing to be in the position you are in right now. Very true. They don't have an education. They can't get into schools. And your only stress at the moment is thinking about the HSC and how good I'm going to get. So be thankful that you are in the position that you are in and use that wisely. Work hard for those people. Mm. Work hard to support those people, to get into a career 
that can eventually help not just our Australian community, but people across the globe to help them get an education, to show them that us as young Muslim Australians are capable of doing such and such. And you are willing to help those other people in Australia and across the world. MashaAllah. Advice from the heart, Thank I could you. tell. Because uh, it wasn't just about the HSC, it was yes. about the bigger picture. 100%. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Being a HSC student can be stressful. It can be extremely humbling and time-consuming. It takes a lot of self-discipline, energy, patience and persistence. Particularly in such a time where many people advance in their taste, physiology and maturity, it can all seem like too much to bear. The crushing weight of expectations can be paralyzing. Stop. For one second, breathe. Realize that this is just the start of your journey. Pace yourself and know this. The milestones that matter are in the lessons that decorate the mind and not the certificates that decorate the walls. The experience has much more to give you than any mark. The journey is often more fruitful than the destination. So join us as we trek together on a journey beyond the ATAR.